This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. It was among the hot topics this week, the plan by the Ford PCs at Queen's Park to allow symptomatic testing of COVID-19 in participating pharmacies across the province. Antigen and PCR tests have been offered for a price in drugstores, but only to those who don't have symptoms of COVID-19 for travel or work. Now, with a plan to provide symptomatic testing in pharmacies, there is a concern that those who are COVID positive could pass along the virus to other shoppers in the store, especially seniors, the immunocompromised, and children 11 and under. While filling in for Libby on Wednesday, I was joined to talk about this significant change in strategy by pharmacist Dean Miller, president and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy, and Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Back in September 2020, we initiated with 211 pharmacies across the province an asymptomatic PCR testing program. And that eligibility criteria for what is publicly funded so it's free to the uh, individual, uh, has changed. Uh, One of the things that was delisted last year was travel. So pharmacies will offer travel and other unfunded services through um, working directly with manufacturers to procure the tests and and offering that on a private basis. So there's sort of a two streams to this, uh, but we have been involved in both rapid and PCR testing for some time. In terms of the cost, it's much cheaper for the antigen test than for the PCR test. That's right. Yeah, it's, um, you know, on a per test basis, uh, and even the test kit itself is more cost effective. But the PAMBIO, if you want to use that as an example, the Abbott PAMBIO is more of a screening tool versus a diagnostic molecular test, which is the PCR test. So that's the gold standard. There is a rapid molecular test as well, which has an analyzer, doesn't require lab uh, results to be shipped um, uh, and so forth, and it's called uh, rapid ID now. So there's different modalities of testing, but uh, each bring a different level of sensitivity. Uh, Give us a sense, Justin, of how many pharmacies in the province have been offering these types of tests. Well, there's 211 that are part of the public program, and we've been advocating to increase that for better access to testing and to help protect our communities. In the private space, uh, there are thousands of pharmacies that are offering that um, at different uh, levels for travelers and for others uh, as well, but mostly in the travel marketplace where that's still required up until today uh, to uh, go into the U.S. or other destinations. That's been largely the private market. And Dean Miller is here, pharmacist Dean Miller, president and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy. So how has this been working out for you at your stores? And have you had scenarios where people with COVID symptoms have come in trying to get a test in the pharmacy, which has not been allowed until now? Well, we we certainly have had, you know, people that have come in and, and, you know, they've you know, every, everybody fills out the screening form, and I think everybody's pretty familiar with that now, and, and they ask the questions about cough and fever and, and the, the, COVID, the COVID symptoms. I mean, 
think quite honestly, not everybody has been 100% honest mm-hmm. with that. Um, but, uh, uh, but I think for the most part, people, people understand the pharmacies have been there for asymptomatic testing, uh, up to now. Uh, we've had a ton of people that have come in for purposes of travel, uh, you know, that have visited pharmacies. And of course, that's a paid service. Uh, but, you know, um, now we're, we're kind of moving into this new phase of symptomatic testing. Um, so it's going to be quite different for us. A lot of the same precautions, but 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 certainly quite different from a perspective of 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 um, you know the people coming in our doors. How will you get around those individuals who say they have symptoms but actually don't to get a free test? I you know the simple answer is I don't know if we do. <laughs> you know, quite truthfully, I mean, a lot of this is is the honesty is the best policy. Uh, 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 scenario and and you know in all cases I don't think we can assure that but it is the same test and and you know this is not really a travel initiative uh, but you know I, quite truthfully Jane I you know I don't know if there's a way around this right. I mean uh, you know other than you know going through the screening and having a conversation but you know I think as pharmacists we're not there to police this you know um, I think early in the pandemic a lot of you know, a lot of people talked about, you know, let's let's just get as many people tested, let's get as many people vaccinated as we can, um, and I think we'll probably follow that rule of thumb through this new testing initiative for symptomatic patients. Pharmacist Dean Miller, president and CEO of Whole Health Pharmacy, and Justin Bates, CEO of the Ontario Pharmacists Association. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. You already receive a 10% discount on your car insurance if you put winter tires on your vehicle in the cold weather months. But how about a tax credit? Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca says if he becomes premier in next June's election, he would provide Ontario taxpayers with a $300 tax credit for buying a set of winter tires. Stephen Del Duca joined me on Thursday to talk more about this pre-election goodie. I had the honor of serving for three and a half years as Ontario's Minister of Transportation. And every fall, every November, uh, we know that we would encourage people right across the province to consider installing winter tires. We know it's really good for road safety. We know it helps reduce collisions and injuries and sometimes even tragic deaths. And so uh, as we were preparing our platform, I wanted to include something that could combine road safety the traveling public with making life more affordable for hardworking Ontario families. And this seemed like an ideal opportunity to put something like this out. Now, what about bringing down auto insurance rates? Well, right now, you know, we are focused on the proposal we put forward with respect to the installing of winter tires. I'll have more to say in the coming weeks and months about the balance of the Ontario Liberal platform going forward. I'm excited about some of the ideas that we've already put in the window, and there's definitely more to come on a whole variety of issues especially issues that do relate to affordability and the pocketbook concerns that people in this province have right now. And if you were to become premier after next June's election, given the state of the economy and all the money that has to have been used by that point to fight the COVID pandemic, how do you square that, the situation of the economy with all of these novel spending ideas? Well, I think it's I think it's about having the right balance. And the people of Ontario work really hard to earn the money that they do earn. And they don't want governments at any level to, to waste or squander that money. But they do want to see 
investments and things that will actually help them and help their families. So uh, a tax credit or a fundable tax credit for installing winter tires is a relatively small cost to government, but it goes a long way for people who are having trouble making ends meet, even though they work hard each and every week and each and every month. So I think this is an example of how we can be creative and we can find some balance at the same time as trying to find ways to grow our economy through more investments in things like childcare that's affordable and building an education system that truly is world-class. So again, we're going to have lots more to say in the balance of our platform in the coming weeks and months, but pretty excited about this. Combining road safety with making things more affordable for Ontario families is exactly where I want to leave this province. What is the reaction so far? Um, when I first uh, read your release the other day, I thought, oh, that could be for this winter. And of course, it's not going to be for this winter. But I mean, is it an idea? And I and sometimes there is some cross-party uh, agreement when the idea is good. Um, have you heard anything from the New Democrats or the governing PCs? No, I haven't. I haven't heard anything from the other parties about this idea or any of the other ideas that we've put forward. Sorry that it's getting a little bit loud where I am. Uh, I'll go somewhere quieter. I will also tell you the initial reaction I had from a lot of friends and family was, hey, is this something I can qualify for this year? In fact, right. I had one family member <laughs> who called me right away and said, I just bought winter tires a few days ago. Is this going to be retroactive? So I had to explain, look, we have to win the election first, but this is the kind of idea that I think will resonate with people. And so far, you have uh, proposed some creative ideas. Uh, clearly, you need to get noticed uh, based on uh, the last election and losing so many seats after several terms uh, and many majority governments. Um, what do you say to voters who are saying, listen, you're just coming up with these ideas, but then once you're in, you'll be part of the whole government system and you won't be able to implement them anyway? I mean, we hear a lot about broken promises. We do for sure. But, you know, I, I did have the honor of serving in cabinet for four years. That gave me a lot of really valuable experience and insight about how government works. And I do feel really comfortable in saying to the people of Ontario that if I do earn the honor of serving as premier, I will be ready because of that experience to govern starting on day one. And we will be able to move the so-called machinery of government to deliver on this kind of progress. I, I know how to get that job done, and I'm, I'm looking forward to having that opportunity if I do win the election next June. Ontario Liberal Leader Stephen Del Duca. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Coming up after the break, TTC riders suffer as the TTC's mandatory vaccination policy takes effect. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. If you're a TTC rider, you may already have made plans to change your own schedule by leaving earlier to accommodate service cuts, which begin today, the day after the mandate took effect for TTC employees to provide their COVID vaccination status to the transit agency. There are 57 bus routes, one streetcar route, along with the Bloor-Danforth subway line, which will all offer less service because of a shortage of workers. On Thursday, I was joined by a panel of stakeholders to discuss the service cuts and how they can be avoided. 
Sheila Paisi Allen is executive director of TTC Riders. Carlos Santos is president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 113 and TTC chair, city councilor Jay Robinson. We have to protect riders and, quite frankly, employees, and we have to make sure we have a safe workplace. That's our top priority as the TTC. So we did create a mandatory vaccination policy. And I do have a little bit of good news, Jane, in that we now are at 90% of TTC employees that have shared their vaccination status. That was as of Monday. And we're continuing to update these numbers as the deadline for this phase uh, comes into effect this weekend. So we expect the number to continue to increase and we will be very nimble, and we will adapt quickly to providing full service. But um, we are happy to report that the numbers are going up dramatically. We need to get people feeling comfortable with the TTC and getting back on the subways, streetcars, and buses. And this is the way forward. We're going now to Carlos Santos. He is the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 113. So TTC workers have been given a long time to share their vaccination status with the transit agency. What is the problem with these remaining holdouts? Well, if if you've been uh, following the news the the last few weeks, I, I can tell you that the TTC doesn't have access to their system. When they first implemented uh, the portal to share vaccine status, it only allowed you to to upload whether you've been uh, you've had your first vaccine or your second vaccine. It did not give you an option as to state whether you were unvaccinated or not. Oh, oh, order, I see. Yeah. Okay, and that in order to do that, you would have to send out send an email to the company. So they did not provide an option to uh, to to disclose that they are unvaccinated. Why the resistance to get vaccinated? Everybody has their own reason, but what, what I can tell you is, is our members have been working the front lines for the last 19 months. Yes, they they've have. Been, yes, they've been carrying overcrowded vehicles prior to a vaccine being, uh, being given to the general population. Now, and every time uh, I made that, my may add, there was a, a work refusal. The Ministry of Labor, the TTC would come in and, and it would be they would be ruled likely not to endanger. Now we have 85%, almost 90% of the general population, which is vaccinated, and they are coming on these vehicles, and they are still overcrowded. And somehow uh, an operator behind the glass who's wearing a mask is making the rest of the passengers unsafe. I don't don't buy that argument. And, And I believe that, once again, the TTC is blaming its workers on their own mismanagement. Let's go to Sheila Paisi Allen. She is the executive director of TTC Riders. Sheila, your reaction to all of this, which basically is holding a lot of riders hostage. That, that's exactly right. Um, you know, just to be really clear, TTC Riders does support um, vaccination because it protects transit users and transit workers. But we think that these deep cuts Um, which are widespread across the city, are really unfair because they hurt people who've been impacted the most by the pandemic. Working people who've been taking transit all throughout the pandemic, more likely to be racialized, more likely to be women. I mean, if you have to get your kids to daycare on a bus and then get to work, this is going to cause chaos. 
some of the cuts, you know, you're going to be waiting twice as long for a bus, up to half an hour on some routes. They're all across the city. What's clear is that these cuts cannot happen. They're unfair, and they could have long-term negative consequences for the TTC. We should be trying to win riders back right now. If we drive people away with half an hour wait times, massive cuts, um, it could really have long-term impacts for public transit. Sheila Paisi-Allen, Executive Director of TTC Riders. Carlos Santos, President of the Amalgamated Transit Union Local 113. And TTC Chair, City Councilor Jay Robinson. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. In Canada alone, some 840,000 people have been diagnosed with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. In fact, an estimated 384 million people worldwide have COPD, which is the third leading cause of death globally. We learn more about this chronic disease on Wednesday, which was World COPD Day. Henry Roberts is a member of the Executive Committee of COPD Canada and joined me for a conversation. The primary cause of COPD is smoking cigarettes. Um, there are a number of people who get COPD who are non-smokers, but they may have been uh, influenced by secondhand smoke, by uh, industrial pollution. They could be heating and uh, and cooking with wood, which uh, uh, offloads off air, airborne particulates. Uh, but the main cause of COPD is cigarette smoking. You, you would think, at least in the Western world, uh, with fewer people smoking, that the incidence of COPD would not be as high. Is this uh, as a result of third world countries still not uh, embracing non-smoking? Yeah, that's part of the problem, the global, uh, the global problem. In Canada, we're seeing a bit of a flattening out of uh, the incidence of COPD, but the big concern, of course, is with people uh, switching to vaping and and e-cigarettes. So we've kind of done a very good job, not kind of, we've done a very good job of uh, wrestling cigarette smoking to the ground, but we've got this other thing kind of rising up on the horizon. So, so you know. Do other forms of smoking, vaping, uh, smoking marijuana, can they also lead to COPD? They can, they can. There's not a lot of good... Uh, uh, scientific evidence of that. It's it's more anecdotal, but uh, we're pretty sure that they do. They do lead to lung damage, whether it's uh, COPD specifically or not, I can't say. How do people live with COPD? Or maybe let's back up a little bit. How is it first diagnosed? How do you know that you may be on the edge of being diagnosed with COPD? Okay. Typically what happens is that people have well, they realize that they're becoming more and more short of breath. Now, COPD affects an older population, uh, and a lot of people explain that shortness of breath by getting older or being out of shape when, in fact, it's COPD starting to present itself. Many people have an event, so they're running across the street and they, they become so short of breath that they begin to panic and they end up in hospital. Uh, the diagnosis of COPD is through a breath test called a spirometry test. So if, uh, if, even if a GP says that you, you suspect you have COPD, you should ask them to send you for a spirometry test. That's the kind of gold standard of diagnosis. 
you can, through the course of exercise, rehab, and medicines, you can slow the progression of the disease. There is no cure for COPD. You know, we've got another minute here uh, for your final messages uh, to people on this World COPD Day. Well, uh, there's a a ton of information on our website, www.copdcanada.info. You'll also see the launch of this global campaign, Speak Up for COPD, there, as well as videos. I think you'll all become familiar with uh, the Speak Up for COPD um, uh, slogan over the course of the next year. We also, last year, we launched the uh, Patient Charter for COPD. My wife calls it the uh, COPD Bill of Rights. That is also on our website, and uh, I, I highly recommend you look at that because it has six basic rights for the COPD patient, the right to you know proper diagnosis, the right to uh, for uh, rehab uh, facilities, the right to um, uh, spirometry tests, and so on and so forth. So um, p- please visit our website. And membership is free of charge, and we never rent or lend our list so nobody will ever bother you if you become a member. Henry Roberts with COPD Canada. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Janice and Whitby phoned with a message based on her husband's experience with chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder. I just want to share that, that my husband suffered from COPD um, and emphysema, uh, was a heavy smoker for many years. In 2009, had 20% of his left lung removed. It was successful. He didn't have to take chemo radiation. And about a year later, he was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis. They don't have a cure yet. They don't know what causes pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, he did stop smoking four years before he died, but it's a horrible way to live. And, you know, I just like to say to people out there, if you are a smoker and you get COPD, please consider trying to give it up because I watched my husband suffer. And when you can't eat and breathe at the same time, that's all I can say, you know, and it was very, very sad. Jan and Guelph called about her experience with testing for COVID-19. We had one place in Guelph to go to for this testing, way in the south end. I live way on the other side of the city, and it cost me $210 because I had to go in a cab both ways to get tested. I was coming up for surgery, major surgery, and uh, it cost me $210 to get three tests because I had to go in a cab. I had no one to take me. Catherine in Toronto phoned about symptomatic testing for COVID-19 in pharmacies. I'm quite concerned about pharmacies taking this on. There are two pharmacies I go to regularly in my neighbourhood. Recently for the flu shot, physical distancing 
was totally impossible. We were all smushed together at the back, together with the people in the pharmacy who were picking up the script, together with people who were coming in for COVID shots and weren't sure where to go. So now you want to add to that people who are symptomatic. Pharmacies have not been physically designed to accommodate physical distancing. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rhonda in Kitchener, who phoned with a rebuttal for the union leader who represents TTC workers as the mandatory COVID vaccination policy takes effect. I'm sorry, sir. I, I'm sorry that, that you had to go to the great lengths that you did to get protected in the first place, but it was new and fresh to everyone. But the point is now there's a vaccine. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. They're working for the public. It doesn't matter if they take a pill in the future. As long as they do something to protect themselves, forget the public. It's protecting themselves. But when you're working with the public, this is a must. I'm glad that it, that it, it I'm sorry it had to come to the point where everybody has to be forced. I don't understand that to begin with, because you look on uh, Facebook and everything else, they're putting more personal information out there, and all they're asked is, did you get two shots? And they're taking it as an insult. And that's wrong. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.